Let's face it, you aren't cut out for this job. You're in over your head and soon everybody's going to discover it. What were you even thinking? You can't help your teachers grow. You should never have done this and you certainly will never make it to the next level. Ouch, such terrible thoughts. There's a diagnosis for this kind of negative thinking and it's called imposter syndrome. That feeling that despite everything you've achieved, you are somehow not fit to do the job you're doing. If you, like me, are one of those afflicted souls, stay tuned. We're going to turn imposter syndrome on its head. And if you've never suffered from imposter syndrome, you need to listen to this episode anyway, because many of your colleagues do suffer from it. Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Frederick Buskey. We are all on a leadership journey. Every day, we have a chance to grow. Every day, we have a chance to help others grow. My goal and the goal of this podcast is to help you grow into being a strategic leader, a leader who puts people before purpose, who solves problems instead of treating symptoms, and who understands the difference between progress and action. Through this podcast, my daily email and virtual programs, I'm working to build a network of inspired and inspiring school leaders. Let's get started on today's adventure and this unique opportunity to learn to live and lead better. Today, I'm joined by Tequila Lamar, the Education for Social Impact Program Manager for Google. I first heard Tequila talking about imposter syndrome on an episode of the NAESP podcast way back in August of 2022. In those days, Tequila was the head of school for the Centennial Academy, a charter school in Atlanta, Georgia. Tequila has an incredible spirit, and I'm so glad to have her on the show today to help us dive more deeply into this thing called imposter syndrome. Hello, Tequila, and welcome to the show. Hello, Frederick. Thank you so much for having me today. So we always like to start with celebrations. What are you celebrating today? I am celebrating spring. <laughs> I am so glad that we have experienced the spring equinox. I am certainly a person who enjoys warmer weather uh, and being here in New York. I feel like even in the spring, it's still a little bit chilly from what I'm used to. I'm a Southern girl, um, but I am celebrating longer days, warmer weather, and soon to be flip-flop season. <laughs> <laughs> And, and less listeners get too jealous, we can both point out that we have our cups of tea here because yes. <laughs> spring's here, but <laughs> spring is doing its thing of flipping the weather around. Uh, exactly, but it's, it's coming. It's soon coming. Oh, that's great. Tequila, can you tell us a story that will help listeners kind of understand what drives you to do the work that you do? Certainly. Um, so I consider myself a lifelong educator. Uh, my master's degree is in elementary education. My bachelor's is psychology, but with always the goal of teaching. For me as a young child, I grew up in a single family home, um, which is me and my mom, I'm my only child. 
And it was education that I feel like saved me and put me on a path um, of knowing that I could live the life that I had always dreamed of, but didn't quite experience as a child. And I had so many teachers that poured into me, um, that believed in me, that helped me to see past my present circumstances. And I wanted to give that back to others. Um, and so I always knew that I wanted to help young people become their best selves. Um, as I got older, I realized that even as adults, we're still learning and we're still growing. You never quite hit the mark. Um, and so I've changed that a bit to just, I want to see all people become their best selves at whatever stage of life, um, because you never fully arrive. And I think education and learning is just a tool to make that happen. And so I consider myself an educator and always wanting to help and serve people in that way. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Hmm. So I think we connected. I heard you on an NAESP podcast some time ago, mm -hmm. and you were talking about imposter syndrome. And I think it was about that same time I was talking to a, an experienced assistant principal, but she was talking about her first day as an assistant principal in the school. And like the bell rang and school started and she was just standing in the hallway and didn't know, didn't know <laughs> what to do. And so, of course, that lasted about 30 seconds and then she was just running all the time. Uh, but it really, in, in listening to you on that podcast, thinking about certainly my own situation, um, just so many people I know, this idea of imposter syndrome is just so prevalent. And, and so before we dive in too much further, when you talk about imposter syndrome, what, what, what does that mean to you? Hmm. Imposter syndrome for me really resonates um, to the idea of each of us battling our own brain bullies. Um, it is that voice in your head that tells you you're not good enough, you are not smart enough, um, you are not competent enough, um, and this won't last. You know, that whatever, you know, this job or this experience, um, this opportunity is going to be taken away from you because you'll be found out, you know, for not really deserving the space that you're in at that time. And so it's this internal dialogue um, of just that negative self-talk, the brain bullies, as I call them. And so you've just made a big jump and, and change. And I'm going to ask you to talk about that and kind of some of that some of those verbals that are going on, that other voice in your head, but also point out to listeners, like it's, it's, it's not just because you made a big jump, right? I think for mm -hmm. a lot of us, that voice is always there. Not for everybody. Some people don't have that voice, um, but a lot of us do. And so tell me about that, this recent transition and then how that voice has really risen up. Sure. Um, so you mentioned the podcast that I was on, uh, which was a wonderful opportunity. At the time, I was serving as the head of school executive director for a K-8 charter school in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and I certainly had to deal with imposter syndrome um, as the head of school because I came to that same school as a third grade math and science teacher. Um, so when you find yourself now leading the school that you were once teaching in the classroom, you know, you certainly have to deal with, I belong here. I, I know what to do. I can lead others. Um, when not too long ago, you know, you were the one being led. And so I was speaking from that experience when I was on the podcast, not knowing 
that my life was getting ready to change, uh, you know, yet again and in a very dramatic fashion. So this is, you know, still I feel like we're still dealing with COVID. I always say, you know, post-pandemic, that is, we're still in this pandemic, so to speak. Um, my husband is actually an engineer. And when I was serving as the head of school, he was an engineer at Delta Airlines. Um, and as a result of the pandemic, the airline industry certainly took a hit. Um, and he started to be fearful of, you know, his, his job security. Um, and would we ever pick back up with travel in the way that we had in the past? And he started to explore other opportunities. One of those was Google. Um, that he actually applied to almost as, you know, on a whim, you know, what could go wrong? I don't really think I would work at Google, but, you know, I'll apply anyway. And lo and behold, uh, he was offered a, a position at Google and he had to choose between New York, Seattle um, and Sunnyvale, California um, for his location. He chose New York City. Um, and initially we thought, okay, well, you'll go off to New York and our family will remain in Atlanta because I'm serving in my dream job. I'm here as the head of school. You know, I've made it. So every teacher thinks about at some point in their career. But I quickly realized that wasn't the family life and family dynamic that I wanted um, and that we all would need to relocate to New York and just have this life change. Unfortunately, um, my board was unable uh, to replace my position. They did a national search. And again, this is COVID. It's not really many leaders looking for a change at this particular time. And they were unable um, to find a replacement. And they asked me to remain in the position and just commute from New York. And I, I agreed to that because, again, I, I love the school. I had been there since the school was founded as a charter. And so I was doing two weeks in New York, two weeks in Atlanta. Um, and commuting back and forth. Frederick, I was spending a lot of time in the airport. <laughs> um, so it was, it was a, a change for me um, in not really feeling like my best self at any given time. I wasn't really showing up as a school leader in the way that I wanted. Um, I was missing basketball games. I was missing opportunities to coach my principals and assistant principals, uh, really missing the opportunity to lead in the way that I wanted. But I also wasn't showing up at home. I was missing my son's performances at school and I wasn't there for my husband as he was adjusting to this new job in a new city. And I just didn't feel like my best self. Um, and even though I didn't feel like my best self, you know, my school leadership certainly did. And my board chair offered an extension to my contract and said, hey, you know, you're doing this well. Why don't you just stay? Um, and I really had to grapple with that. And I decided ultimately it was a disservice to me and the school to accept, you know, that contract because again, I, I didn't feel like my best self. And so I resigned again um, and decided to start exploring other opportunities. And my husband recommended that I also look to Google. Frederick, I'm a lifelong educator. You know, I have been in education since graduation, either at the post-secondary level when I supported first-generation college students, um, I've worked in nonprofit, um, and I heard worked at schools. I've never worked in corporate, never worked in tech. Um, and I said, that is your lane, Mr. Engineer. There is nothing there for me that I could possibly do. You know, and this is Google. And to be honest with you, in my head, I was thinking, I'm not good enough you know, for a place like Google. I've been great in my lane, um, but certainly I couldn't see myself in this, in this world. Uh, but he truly encouraged me, you know, to even apply and just talk to a recruiter. And so that was the bout of imposter syndrome that really started to come back up 
um, in that particular instance of even convincing myself that I was good enough to apply for the job. Mm. It, and it's interesting as listening and listening to you, I think about some of those underlying causes of why do we even have imposter syndrome? And, and so the one is kind of the, at the logical level, whoa, I'm doing something really new. Like this is out of my lane. And so it's, it seems that that voice is reasonable to say, oh, can you really do this? Right. But there's also the illogical part where you are competent and you get lots of feedback from people and they love what you're doing. And yet that voice still intrudes into your head. And so, you know, dismissive of everything that you're doing, despite the actual evidence that what you're doing as well. So you have that kind of logical part of it and the Ill illogical part of it. I mean, that's one of the things that makes it so hard to overcome, right? Because where's the line between those? Right. It, you know, it's, it's not rooted in fact, right? I and mean, I think that's the difference with imposter syndrome is that these are those illogical thoughts, you know, and they're just thoughts. It's, it's not fact-based. And I do think that all of us deal with these voices at some time, some point in our lives. But for those of us who are not battling with imposter syndrome, you know, we can hear the voice and then dismiss it. It doesn't linger, right? And so the voice may come in certain periods and you can say, ah, and brush it off. But when you are really battling with imposter syndrome, the voice comes, the voice stays, the voice remains, and the voice can paralyze you if you let it. And I think that's the difference. And that's what we have to combat um, is that, yes, it's natural, you know, to have those feelings time and time and time again, you know, but what do you do when you hear the voice? And does it stop you from acting and moving forward? And that's when we have a, a problem. I think that's a really critical point, right? Because that's when imposter syndrome becomes a problem, when it stops you mm -hmm. from acting. Right. Yeah. I think the other thing that sometimes leads to imposter syndrome is when people underestimate their own skills or underestimate the value of their own skills. And so I, I think about coaching, spent a lot of time with assistant principals talking about coaching and talking about supporting teachers. And, and I think that plays out a lot there because A, they're not able to do as much as they want because they're busy taking care of all the fires. But then when they do, there's all that self-doubt. Like, do I really have the skills that I can help this teacher? And then the other part of it is I think that when they are able to do something, they underestimate the value of that. And one of the things I really preach about is just being present for people. Just ask the question and just listen, right? We don't have to have the answers. If we can ask the right questions, that will help people come up with their own answers. And that's a huge value. But if you have imposter syndrome running, mm -hmm. right, the whole time you're trying to listen and convince yourself that me just listening is good, there's that narrative playing in your head. Right. Oh my gosh, Frederick, that's so true. You know, one of the things, one of the tools that I picked up with coaching with my team is I would end the conversation with, was that helpful? Because you're getting immediate feedback in time. And so they could say, eh, it was great, but it wasn't quite what I was looking for. Oh my gosh, yes, that's exactly what I needed. And you can course correct in the moment. And so I think it's, we have to be comfortable 
with getting feedback in real time. And so then you're dealing with facts, right? And not the thoughts. Because if you just walk away from the conversation, you might have that voice that says, oh, you, you spent all that time talking, but it didn't really help. That wasn't what they were looking for. You know, you didn't add value. But if you end the conversation with a check-in, was that helpful? Did you get what you needed? Do you have, you know, action items to move forward with? And getting the feedback in real time, now we're moving to fact and not thoughts. And so just inserting those types of tips or tools I find to be really helpful because you're combating that voice and though you don't get caught up, you know, in your own thought process, but you're checking in with others to ensure that you've added value. And if you haven't, that's okay. Take the feedback and try a different approach. And I love that because even if the feedback is, well, yeah, I didn't get that value, you now have something to act on. Right. And that's another problem with imposter syndrome is it just, it's, it's squishy and vague and it's hard to say, okay, well, this is how I combat that negative um, thing because it's more emotion-based than fact-based. Mm-hmm. So what are a couple other strategies? I have a couple, I know you have a couple Let's. I'm looking forward to sharing these. Um, as again, I, I'm somebody that has very much struggled with imposter syndrome, um, especially as I stepped out of education and started consulting business and <laughs> faced with things I didn't didn't <laughs> think about. Um, so, what do you have like a top strategy or top couple of strategies that you use to combat imposter syndrome? Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of things. One, I would say, is to reflect on what is showing up as that voice of saying you're not good enough at something. You know, you're not good enough at what? Fill in the blank. And I think it's the idea that we are still lifelong learners. You never stop learning. You're not expected to know everything in the moment. And so whatever it is that you're not feeling, you know, self-confident about, continue to learn, continue to explore, you know, and so Again, thinking about this new area that I'm in where I'm supporting um, Black and Brown and girls to be able to have access to computer science education. I myself don't feel 100% confident in computer science, right? It's not necessarily my wheelhouse. And so that's an area where I'm not feeling the most confident. But now those are the books that I'm reading. Those are the articles that I'm searching. Those are the podcasts that I'm listening to so that I can build my knowledge base around computer science because that was something I wasn't feeling entirely confident in. And so even with coaching, coaching is an art. You know, some people are really gifted at it naturally, but it is something that you can still study and explore and have your books nearby, you know, have your manuals, going to conferences, connecting with others who are coaches and learning from them. And so I think one way to combat that imposter syndrome is not sitting in that, I don't know enough, I'm not good enough, you know, this isn't coming naturally to me, but recognizing where those gaps are, where you may have deficits and continuing to learn and grow in those particular areas so that you're building up your confidence while also building up your competence in that particular area. So that would be one, not being afraid of the learning process, the continuous learning process. The second would be naming it. I think that sometimes we are afraid to be vulnerable and to be honest and say, I'm struggling with this. I'm I'm not feeling good enough. I don't think I know what I'm doing. I don't know if this is real. 
and just connecting with others because what we find most often, and you said it, Frederick, is that most of us are dealing with this, right? But it's almost like this closeted experience where, you know, we're afraid to say out loud what we're really dealing with. And I think that once you can acknowledge it and own it and speak it, you know, out loud, it starts to diminish because you realize, you know, you're not dealing with this alone and in isolation. And because you have others around you who are giving you the feedback, you're building a tribe, they can say, oh, yes, of course, you know, you are so skilled, you're so competent. Oh my gosh, you're so knowledgeable. You're doing this so well. You have a counter to that internal voice that starts to bring you back to reality and to the facts versus those negative thoughts that you have going on in your head. So you know, speak it out loud, acknowledge it, and find your tribe of supporters who can help counter those negative thoughts. I, I love that. And the thought that jumped in my head while you were talking was that, you know, fear thrives in the shadows. Mm-hmm. Fear thrives when when it can hide um, yeah. and, and in the privacy of our own minds. But by sharing, by being vulnerable, we are shining a light on that fear and then getting the support we need from others. So that's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And you, you talked about naming it. So I actually have named that voice. So that's, I, my name is Frederick and that's what I go by. And I don't like being called Fred. I don't like it when people call me Fred. So that negative voice is my Fred voice. Mm. And, and naming it yeah. has helped because now I can catch myself and I say, you know, that's not me. Mm-hmm. that's not who I am. That's, that's the Fred voice. That's, that's the other, that's the one I thought I left behind in middle school. <laughs> you know, he's chasing me all over. Uh, yes, that is so true. I feel like that voice appeared in middle school, Frederick, and I have a middle schooler right now who like, you know, I, I watch him battle this himself, you know, and now that I'm older, I try to shed these insights and wisdom with him because it's something about going through puberty and that change and that childlike wonder starts to escape you. Because when we're children, right? Think about, you know, toddlers or when you're four, you're in that kindergarten playground, you believe you can do all things. You believe you can fly, you can soar, you can jump, you can be an astronaut. And I think that the adults around us sometimes are the ones to start putting those limiting ideas in your head, you know? okay, you want to be an astronaut and maybe you should come down and think about doing something a little bit different, right? Or, oh no, you know, don't jump into this puddle. You know, you, you're not going to be able to make it if you try to play in the rain. You're going to get really dirty. It's not going to be fun. We start to tell children what they can't do. We start to put doubts in their mind of what they're capable of. And eventually when they get to those, you know, preteen awkward years, when they're also battling the puberty and the hormonal changes, they start to believe those doubts and those limiting beliefs themselves. And so it's so interesting that you said that because I do think a lot of this begins to start there. And so we have to be mindful with our own children um, as educators in the classroom that we are not putting these limiting thoughts and beliefs you know, on others so that they don't become adults who are still struggling and battling in a way that we've had to overcome. So I'm really mindful of that myself. I think that's another important point. And that again is by the time we recognize that imposter syndrome voice 
and tried to deal with it, it's already been entrenched in many of us for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, about a year and a half ago, you know, my daughter does, Mara does a lot of work for me, um, but she really had kind of locked herself down and had a lot of that negative thought. And so we decided to do something called The Artist's Way, which is a, a book um, by, I think the author's name is Cameron. And, and the idea is that we're all artists. We all have this creativity, but as you just pointed out, right, it's been kind of locked away and belittled. And, and so facing those things and breaking through them is important in becoming in, in tapping into your artistry and a, the front end of the book was really about that voice and how to overcome that voice. And one of the things that I really took away because we did this thing together but it's the affirmations. And mm-hmm. I actually have a pad of paper. And when I have a negative thought about myself, I write it down and then I write the affirmation because the affirmation can become part of the inner voice too, right? Yeah. If if Fred can talk silently, well, I can talk louder. And, mm-hmm. and one of the affirmation techniques is what you just said about that yes, but, yes. right? You don't know yes. what you're doing. Okay, yes, but I'm learning about mm-hmm. what I'm doing. So that's that way to kind of flip it and, and take control. Yes. And, and then some of the other things I think about citing those facts. So when it says, um, you know, nobody values you, your work doesn't matter. And then wait a minute. No, I hear from people every week that what, what I'm doing makes a difference and add adds value. So to have those comebacks ready, and mm-hmm. practice them has been really important for me. And I actually say it three times. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I develop mantras. The last the last six months has been really hard business-wise for a variety of reasons. And I've not been having the kind of fun that that I want to have. But a lot of that has been my own limiting beliefs and my own self-doubt. And so coming up with with a mantra, like I, I am powerful. I'm powerful and I'm confident and, and just, it sounds silly, but just saying that. And if you say that over and over, it makes it a lot easier to cast out that silent voice. Frederick, we are spirit twins because I am a firm believer in positive affirmations. I mean, it has made such a difference in my own life. I have printed cards um, that I keep by my door So as I am leaving my home in the morning, I'm reading that card, I speak it aloud, I'm saying it to myself, I'm giving power, you know, to I am valued, I am loved, I will have a wonderful blessed day, I will contribute in meaningful ways. I mean, it's just, it's a wonderful affirmation deck. On my cell phone, um, I had I did not realize that when you set an alarm in your cell phone, you can attach a label to it. And so it might say, you know, pick up Frankie from you know theater class right at four thirty. But what I have done, Frankie's name is my little son, my son, my youngest. But what I have done is I have set these alarms in my phone to go off every two or three hours or so. And it's just a reminder when it pops up that you are adding value to this conversation. You matter, right? 
I am powerful. I am still learning. I am still growing. And because I've just set these up to go off, you know, I don't think about it. And so you could be in a tense meeting. You might be gearing up for a difficult conversation. You might just feel really crummy. And then your phone is going off and you're looking at you're looking at it and then you're seeing that affirmation and is that reminder to shift your thinking, to change the mindset, to now speak truth to power, to say something affirming about yourself in that moment. And I have those that go off every single day throughout the day. And to your point, it may sound you know, corny or cheesy, but it really, you have to be intentional about creating the life that you want to live. And so not just going throughout the day and hoping something positive happens or hoping, you know, that you won't think negative thoughts that day. We're human. You know, things are going to happen, but we can have greater control over the way that we live. We can have greater control over the inputs that we take in. And so those are the type of things that I want to have in my mental space. And those are the reminders that I want throughout the day so that I can course correct whenever those negative thoughts start to creep into my mind because they're bound to happen. So I love the affirmations. I love the mantras and they work. It really makes a difference in controlling your thought processes. I, I love that. And I love the, re the reminders. That's a great idea. I may, I may grab onto that. And then I can also think of taking, you, know, you get an email and somebody says, oh, thank you so much. You helped me with X. I could see actually taking that quote and dropping it into one of those reminders yes. and just add that little oomph like, okay, this is proof, right? Mm -hmm. This is, this is that social proof that what I'm doing matters. Dealing with the facts. I love it. So I want to recap where we've gone because I think that like a clear process for attacking imposter syndrome, one is to acknowledge it and name it and develop that awareness. Like you have to we have to listen to that voice. We have to recognize that it's happening because that's part of the hard part, right? It's happening all the time and we don't recognize it. So recognizing it and naming it. And then step two is we've given five, six strategies already that you can take. So latch on to the couple of those, two or three that make sense for you and start to do it. And then that last piece I think is replacing that voice, like just overwhelm it by putting in those positive messages and and talking. And that stuff does work. Mm -hmm. No, it truly does. I, For me, it has worked in my life. And so when I think about, again, the facts, I am the proof that it does make a difference. I know where I've been. I am someone that battled with depression and anxiety. Um, and a lot of that was my own limiting beliefs about myself. And so again, having greater control of my thoughts, um, really standing true in my value and the value that I have to myself, to my family, but to this world and to the community, you know, it, it really makes a difference when you take control and you silence, you know, that voice and you replace it with the positive self-thought because the voice is coming and it's okay. So I do want people to recognize that it is okay. We are human. Everyone has those beliefs, but do not allow them to limit you, to paralyze you, to stop you from living your best life. And that takes work. We, we could almost close it right there. That, that's <laughs> wonderful. I, I have been holding back one thing. Sure. And I read this quote. It's from Seth Godin, who's kind of a thought leader in the entrepreneurial realm. 
And I'm going to paraphrase what he said. Feeling imposter syndrome is a sign that you are pushing your edge. Mm -hmm. And if you're not feeling it, then you're playing safe and you are not growing. And I have embraced that one because that is another way to flip the narrative. And so now when I feel those doubt and I feel that stuff creeping in, I'm like, okay, that means I'm pushing it. I'm trying to get better and I'm trying to be bold and be courageous. So just trying to, that, that thought has helped me a lot of time, not always, but a lot of time flip it. Oh, I feel you imposter syndrome. Okay. That's a positive. That means I'm working it. Yeah. Oh, I love that, Frederick. I love that. I think we have to be careful in life not to get too comfortable, not to get too comfortable. You know, I mentioned my husband, you know, seeking that new opportunity, taking that job in New York. We've never lived in New York. My first time visiting New York was when I worked, uh, you know, as a teacher and being a chaperone on an eighth grade trip, right? We don't have (laughs) family here, but you have to be comfortable with stepping outside of your comfort zone and being uncomfortable, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so now I ask myself, are you dreaming big enough? Are you dreaming big enough? Go broader, go bigger, expand what's possible because again, that voice can tell you it's enough. You've done enough. You know, don't try to do things outside of your zone of expertise. Well, I can increase my zone of expertise. Again, I'm a lifelong learner, lifelong educator. And so dare to dream big. And when that voice, like you said, starts to come up, you know, then it's reminding you that you are doing something that you thought initially you weren't capable of. But you can learn anything. You can keep pushing and keep growing. So dare to dream big. I love that. Don't get too comfortable. I love that too. And for people listening out there, if you've moved into the assistant principalship or the principalship or instructional coach, you've dreamed big. Yes. But you can dream bigger, which can mean moving into another job, but you can also dream big within your role. Because I know a lot of APs out there, you want to have more time where you're helping, supporting and grow teachers. So dream big, mm-hmm. figure out you know, what does that look like? And then work with other people and keep learning and taking the steps to do that. Frederick, can I say one thing with that? (laughs) You don't mind because I I so appreciate that. And it's just, it brings up a coaching opportunity that I will often have with my staff that sometimes the, the dream big is not a new position. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it isn't. But in your current position, I would always ask, are you submitting proposals to present at conferences? Are you seeking out invitations to be on a podcast like this one? Are you thinking about coaching and leading others? Are you applying for a grant that can bring funds into your school? I mean, so there are so many opportunities that also allow you to dream big. So it's not always the position, but sometimes I see that we hold ourselves back in our role and we think that it's enough. And so you can be a great assistant principal, wonderful assistant principal, but how are you sharing that gift? And I've noticed that we're not always pushing ourselves. Again, we think that we may not have value outside of our school building and we don't apply to speak 
at conferences. We don't, uh, you know, submit an article to be published, you know, in an education magazine. So I just would hope that we don't hold ourselves back from those opportunities either, because when that voice says, I don't have time or I have nothing to share, or I don't have words, you know, that would be of value to others. That's something that we have to combat as well. So I just wanted to offer that because it was something that I, I remember facing that in my own building. Mm. I love that. So we're going to start to wrap this up, although I think we could go another hour, but this was fun. <laughs> so before we close, what's a part of your own leadership that you are still trying to get better at? Hmm, great question, Frederick. Um, I think for me, it is embracing the new opportunities. Um, again, I see myself as this lifelong educator. I have really been able to experience some wonderful opportunities, you know, in my career, but I know there's more. I know that there's more that I can do. I know there's more than I can give. You know, when I mentioned earlier about dream bigger, you know, that's something that I'm saying to myself currently. That's, that's what I have, you know, uh, written in my bathroom and on sticky note, <laughs> um, full transparency, but it's dream bigger. And so I think for me, I am struggling currently with not knowing exactly what that is. And I think it's okay. I think it's okay. But it's that reminder not to give up and not to forget about it, but to continue to check in with myself and to reflect um, and to make sure I'm not missing the opportunity. So it might be revealed, you know, in the next 30 days or six months or maybe even next year, you know, but I want to make sure that I'm pushing and I'm growing and I'm expanding. And so the next time that we have this podcast, you know, hopefully I would have something to share. I would have tapped in because who knew two years ago I'd be sitting here. And so I do feel um, that I don't want to limit myself. I never want to get too comfortable. I have to mm. keep dreaming keep dreaming so that's what i'm working on right now awesome if listeners could take away just one thing from our discussion today what would you want them to take away you have value you have value and that that does not come with a title it doesn't come with a position it doesn't come with an accomplishment it doesn't come with anything that you have to do. Your very existence, your being, your soul, your spirit, you woke up today, you have value just as you are. And we're going to leave it there. Tequila, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been magnificent. Oh, thank you, Frederick. You're so kind. I appreciate the opportunity. This was a gift for me as well. So thank you. And I learned from you. So thank you for <laughs> your tips. The artist way, I'm going to pick that up on Amazon. <laughs> okay. Yet again, this is another episode that would be good to listen to twice, especially if you're someone who suffers from bouts of imposter syndrome. Let's recap the three things, the three steps to combating imposter syndrome. First, name it. I call mine the Fred voice. You choose what works for you. But name it as something that is at once part of you, but also separate from you. 
The second thing is to use affirmations to counter those negative thoughts. The third is to turn imposter syndrome on its head by recognizing that you are still growing and still learning as a leader. And those imposter feelings are a way of recognizing that, yes, I am pushing my edge. I am growing. I am courageous and I am powerful. I also love Tequila's technique of posting her affirmations and creating alarms to remind her of her strength. I have many friends in higher education who suffer from imposter syndrome, and I will be forwarding the link to this show to all of them. If you also know people who suffer, please forward this show link to them and maybe then follow up with a conversation because as Tequila pointed out, sharing the fear lessens its hold on you. Remember that I love hearing from you and you can share with me by emailing me at frederick at frederickbuskey.com. Thank you for including me on your leadership journey. I look forward to seeing you again on Friday when we recap this week's daily emails. I'm Frederick Buskey, and thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Assistant Principal Podcast. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Cheers.